Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Vine for September 24th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Schiffel. Good evening, sir. All right. Good to have everybody back in our regular time slot. Um, but we're excited tonight. In about 20 minutes, we're going to have a longtime friend of the show from Virginia, our Virginia political expert. Mr. Lowell will call in because they're going to have elections for about two months. Um, and it's pretty much for the uh, control of their uh, House of Delegates, their state Senate, and um, pretty impactful, and it's usually a pretty good bellwether. And they'll have other um, Virginia political topics as well. So we'll discuss all of that with Lowell here in about 20 minutes. But until then, once again, another one of those weeks where we know we have too much to discuss for the amount of time we're given. But we're going to do our best to cover some things and cover them right. And one um, topic we're going to start out with, it was by no means the biggest political story of the week, but it was by far the most outrageous and really would have been the most outrageous in almost any week. Um, head of our armed forces, um, you know, at the time under Donald Trump and, and, and still serving that role, Joe Biden, Mark Milley, um, told in an article, because they did a pretty extensive piece, I believe it was the Atlantic, if it was the New Yorker, me, but it was in um, one of the major magazines, profile piece of Mark Milley, and he told the story of how um, there was a wounded soldier, he did not have um, ability to use his legs at this point, he was wounded in combat, I actually saw the picture that um, after Donald Trump as president greeted him, afterwards he told General Milley, why do you bring these disabled vets here? No one wants to see them. They're not a good photo op. And I've probably paraphrased a little bit of that, but I don't think I missed the intent at all. Um, Catherine, Donald Trump has said a lot of reprehensible, despicable things, but how far up the ladder do you think that sentiment and remarks ranks? Well, it's it's horrifying that Anyone would say that, but especially the President of the United States. But it's not surprising. You know, it's horrifying, but it's not not surprising coming from him. He's very uh, concerned about how things look. As you, I mean, as you can tell by all the uh, great steps he goes through to try to make himself look good. Though I don't believe they are successful, but. They are obvious. He's obviously very vain himself and likes to be surrounded by um, what he views as attractive people. So uh, horrifying, terrible, uh, terrible, terrible thing to, to, to think that someone is, think is feeling that way, and especially, like I said, the president, and in reference to a veteran who was wounded protecting this country. So the whole thing is horrifying. But again, it's not surprising. Tim, I actually read the comments and thought they were horrible. Then I saw the video um, of uh, the the time when Donald Trump met this gentleman and with his family there, and it actually, if you just look at the video and you didn't know the comments, um, it was probably one of the more warm, better, empathetic moments of Donald Trump's presidency. But then you hear these comments, and you're like, mm, that's the guy we know and love. Lo- loathe. Um, you know, I-, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, Tim, what was your reaction to the comments? Well, uh, total non-surprise. 
you remember you remember when he made fun of the uh, journalist uh, when he was running in 2016. He mimicked him, uh, made yeah. fun of him from the the podium at a rally. That uh, a lot many said that should have been the end of Trump right there. It would have been the end of anybody else, I think. So I, I'm not surprised that Trump said, "Why do you bring people like that here? Nobody wants to see that." The wounded. Uh, I'm not surprised that he forbade uh, General Milley from inviting Avila uh, 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 to. Uh, any more public events, and I wasn't surprised earlier this week when these comments came out that Milley had given to the Atlantic that Donald Trump took to uh, Truth Social and said that uh, General Milley should be executed for treason. So, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised at anything he says or does. Yes, Tim, we, were, we hadn't even gotten to that part about the fact that he then claimed that this person who's given their entire career, who served people of both administrations, uh, he said he should be tried and, and killed for treason, which is just astounding. Um, I, I See here, this thing that just vexes me, and this is a whole other conversation, we'll stick you deep into it, is – well, I realize that Donald Trump has not lost that many of the people that voted for him in 2016 and 2020. He hadn't added to that number either. And he didn't win the popular vote either time. And he lost the Electoral College this last time. And so he's got to add voters. And making statements like this that are just horrifying, and I mean the one that he could have controlled people knowing about, the one he made in 2023 um, on Truth Social, why do you do that? He just can't help himself. And, and that's what's so vexing when you see these polls where it shows he, you know, is getting a bigger percentage of the vote um, than, than he did in the last election. Because you're like, I don't know anybody that's now voting for him. I know like, I'm stuck with him, but nobody's adding to the numbers that I know of. Well, let's make sure that we keep moving and, and covering other stories. And probably the biggest political story of the week because it's going to continue to go on, and it really does impact people's lives, is the U.S. House of Representatives cannot pass a budget, and that looming idea of a shutdown is bad enough as it is. But then, because uh, Kevin McCarthy's hold on the speakership, really probably the most tenuous of anybody that served in that position in American history, it becomes a... Another issue with another wrinkle to the whole thing. So, Catherine, the week that was, they was too busy to hear the president of the Ukraine, uh, you know, address both chambers of Congress because they had to work out a budget deal. And then Kevin McCarthy sent everybody home early, uh, sometime on Thursday. Didn't even finish Thursday out. Didn't even didn't even work Friday. You know, like most of us. Um, what's your thoughts on how Kevin McCarthy's handling this? He just. He just can't do anything right. Like it, it's like he's unable to do the right thing. And and I just it's kind of mind-boggling that he has so uh little um, ability to reflect on what he's doing and and how it's going to look and the impact that it has on the government and just everything. He he just He's like living in a, I don't know, living in a little cocoon of his own or something. I don't. It's it's terrible. And if we end up having to have another government shutdown, it's going to be horrible too. And these people, they don't. It's again another good example of like they don't believe in government. Why are they? Why do they get want to be elected? And why do they want to? In, I'm putting this in quotation marks, serve, if this is the way they're going to be. It's just mind-boggling to me. Hey, if they're not going to drown it in the bathtub, Catherine, who is? You know, right. that, that's the old uh, Grover Norquist line. Um, and, and I'll tell you how bad it is, Catherine, that um, Tim Burchett, 
the um, congressman from Knoxville, the Knoxville area, which we've discussed before, who made the kind of egregious comments after the school shooting in Nashville, he actually – he's a very far-right-leaning uh, congressman. He actually uh, you know, expressed admiration for how um, effective Nancy Pelosi was when she was uh, the Speaker of the House. That's how bad it is. The right-wingers are praising Nancy Pelosi in contrast to Kevin McCarthy. Tim, this is just a comedy of error after error. What is your take on it? Well, well, no wonder he was praising Nancy Pelosi. She got votes to the floor. Do you realize they couldn't even pass procedural votes? I'm not talking about funding votes. You know, a procedural vote is, is you pass something, and generally you do this in your sleep, and everybody passes it, and you're just voting on the rules that are set for the debate on what you're going to try to pass. In this case, they were, you know, it was the usual thing, an hour of debate on each side uh, for, for defense appropriations, and they voted down the procedural stuff. Six Republicans voted against it, one of them our beloved congresswoman. And, and McCarthy cannot even raise the votes to get something to the floor that he's putting out there. This is the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. So he, uh, after he had said they'd be in session through the weekend to pass all these spending bills, he adjourned the House until Tuesday. And uh, I, I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think he knows what to do. He he said they want to burn the whole place down. Well, he got into bed with this bunch in order to become Speaker. Look at what it yielded. Yeah, it's funny. Like you said, they couldn't pass the, even the rules. And he right. We're going to work through the weekend and send them home. And this is really like a, a kind of like a classroom management problem. And I, I'll tell a quick quick story to make an analogy. Um, it was like my second year of teaching, so I didn't have the classroom discipline that I do now as a 30-year a teacher. And I was having to sub for another class. It was time for lunch. I said it wasn't quite doing like I wanted him to. So I said, well, everybody sit down. And I put my feet up on the desk, and I said, I'm here either way. I'm getting paid. We'll just sit here until y'all get under control. And you know what? I might have been a second-year teacher, but I got them under control. I said, we're going to sit here and not do what you want to do until you give me what I want. Now, I was about 23 at the time, and if I could figure that out, You'd think that someone that's been training to be the Speaker of the House all this time could figure out that he could threaten to keep them from going home in their districts to get stuff done. They're, they're getting paid to get done, that they've been elected to get done, but he didn't do it. Why, Catherine, did he not hold their feet to the fire and at least keep them in Washington to see if some progress could be made? Because he's afraid they're going to kick him out. Right. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, that's it. But you would think at some point, if you can't get the job done right, maybe the job isn't worth having. And I don't mean like, oh, you're not up to the job, because he isn't up to the job. But, you know, like, why do you want this headache? John Boehner basically said, I don't want this headache. Paul Ryan said, I don't want this headache. Tim? If If not him, who? <laughs> Can you imagine some of the cast of clowns that would love to have that job that would be like ten times worse than him? But here's the stick. Here's the rub. Yeah, you got to get Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, and we'll name five. And probably Marjorie Green, uh, Green or Taylor joins that bunch because then she won't have her little inside deal with. Kevin McCarthy and others, they'll go one way if you get somebody more moderate or somewhere. I mean, they're really moderate left, but somebody more middle of the road within today's Republican Party. But if you go too far in their direction, you're going to lose Mike Lawler, Don Bacon, and some others. So really, I don't know who that consensus candidate is. 
Um, I, I think Steve Scalise gets mentioned, but wouldn't he have maybe six enemies too? What do you think, Catherine? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think – I don't know who would be the next speaker, but he's going to stay there as long as he can. He's going to do whatever he has to do to stay there because it's like it's power. It's not – I mean, I agree with you. Like, why do you want to do it if it's so uh, difficult? And it must be frustrating. I mean, maybe not. He lives in a little cocoon. But um, – but I don't. He's going to hold on as long as he can. It's yeah. power. Uh, well, well, Tim, let's get into this. Okay, tomorrow, most of the world that's you know not retired goes back to work. The House of Representatives seemingly will do that too. Um, no, they will not. Not till Tuesday. They will not. So what, Tuesday? Oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm talking about those crazy people that work five days a week. No, no, not not those people that take the back of their own schedule, <laughs> like Congress. Okay, so Tuesday, when they go back, I have to look. Are they celebrating National, you know, Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day or something? Um, you know, whatever those little things that that come on the, the calendar out of nowhere. You know, hmm. he, here's what you know. His way out of this, and the only way I can figure out is to work with the Democrats, and then he'll have enough of the few moderates in the House mm-hmm. to go along with him to get this thing passed. And what they ought to pass is a continuing resolution, you know, and and uh, just fund the government for a short amount of time. Now, them crazies ain't going to go along with it. That's why he's got to have some Democrats. But Democrats ain't going to vote to defund Ukraine. And, and they're, they're not going to vote to... You know, double the border security budget. They're they're, they're not going to do things like that. So he needs to cut that junk out and fund the government. Quarters of the government is, you know, Social Security, Medicare, uh, interest on on the national debt, paying that down, and and, and defense. Get those things passed and keep the government running, or it's going to shut down. You see any other yeah, way out of this? But here's the trick, and I heard it was really like a 27% cut. Um, maybe not, you know, completely across the board, but it would affect uh, you know 27%. That, they were going to like who who helps you get? Um, it was like who helps you no. get? Um, Social Security, that kind of stuff. I mean, that was one of the proposals of the far right bunch. Funded at current level, short term, until you can get something done. That's all they can do. If they can do something else, I would like to know what that is. But that's what the crazy right ringers wanted. Wingers wanted is is the 27% cut. I mean, across the board, but but reached into all kind of departments. But let's see this. Let's say he makes it with Democrats. Catherine, doesn't he sign his own pink slip? Because that's what I was just going to say. six of the Republicans pull away, right? Well, tell us all about it. Right. I mean, if he if he if he if he gets the Democrats to help him and they get something passed, then they're just going to kick him out anyway. The Republicans. Yeah. I mean, he's so, he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, well, I tell you what, they're going to be damned at the polls if they shut this government down. Now, they can go ahead and be, every time they've done that, it's cost them at the polls, every time. And they are going to get the blame for it, not the Democrats, not Biden, not the media, not, not the Ukrainians, nobody else, them. Well, and somebody pointed that out. One of the Republicans pointed out that they always get the blame. Because, really, they're always the ones that shut it down. I mean, I think people yeah. kind of know the deal. They have less use for government, far less use, more, less use every day, seemingly, um, every cycle. And so they're the ones that do this. They, they, you know, make this move. And so some of them, I guess, are prepared to do that because I guess they know in their districts they can't lose. And they really don't care about moderates like um you know, Mike Lawler, and they don't care about Don Bacon, and I guess they don't care about the presidency and 
Senate seats they might actually could win back and things like that. So who knows? But um, good for time to segue in um, because same point people say that if they have a government shutdown before the Virginia election, elections, it has an impact. So we're about ready to talk some Virginia elections with our expert uh, from Raising Cane and um, Blue Virginia, Mr. Lowell Feld. Welcome back to the show, Lowell. Hey, how's it going, man? Oh, good to have you on. Well, Lowell, yeah, thanks. It's been a, it's been a little, it's been a little bit. I think it, I think you came on around this time before the 2021 election. We did not know how those would turn out, but I want to start there because if you look since uh, the election 2020, almost every special election and odd year elections and things like that, and, and I don't know how fair it is. How fair it is to lump the uh, Virginia and um, New Jersey elections in with those. But all of those have been pretty outstanding for Democrats. Democrats have outperformed in so many of them. But that 2021 election mm-hmm. where uh, Glenn Youngkin won the governorship, you lost some House of Delegates seats, you lost some state Senate seats, that election. Yeah, and we actually Jersey didn't lose state thing. Senate seats, but. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you, okay, you lost ground. Yeah, I, that's great that you didn't lose state senate But you know, New Jersey was the same thing. That that day right, right. was just not good yeah. for Democrats. I think there was even some elections in Washington State. So it wasn't just Virginia. It was that day. But yeah. then since then, even in Virginia, things have gotten better. Oh, well, in your opinion, now that you're nearly two years away from it, why was that day so different than every other election day in this two-year period? I mean, the um, the pattern is, you know, when the White House flips uh, party control, um, the next election, which is, you know, like Virginia, the next next year, almost always goes hard the opposite direction. So we have we've had this in pretty much every single election. In 2008, Barack Obama won the White House, flipped it from Bush, and then the next year, Republican Bob McDonnell won uh, the governor's uh, race in Virginia by like 17 points. <laughs> so that just shows you what he, Obama had won Virginia the year earlier by six points. So that was like a 23-point swing. And, and that's, that's the type of thing that can happen. Now, in um, 2017, the year after Trump, unfor- unfortunately and disastrously, won the White House, um, Democrats crushed Republicans in Virginia in 2017 – and, you know, Ralph Northam won that by, like, nine points or whatever. So, you know, and then in 2021, um, we had the same thing again. I mean, Biden won the White House, won Virginia easily, and um, and then in 2021, except that Youngkin only won that election by two points. So it wasn't a massive swing like we saw with Bob McDonnell or with Ralph Northam. I mean, Youngkin barely won – but but that's been the natural that's been the natural tendency. What happens, I think, is that the year after the White House flips, the party that won, they're like complacent. They kind of go to sleep. In this case, it was Democrats. Although we had decent turnout in 2021 from McCall. But anyway, the other party, Republicans in this case, were are get really angry and riled up, and and they turn out in droves. And that's what happened. In 2021, I mean, Republicans really turned out at in some areas of the state, the, some of the deep red areas, and almost at presidential levels. It was incredible because Democrats really did turn out. I mean, it wasn't – McAuliffe got more votes than uh, Ralph Northam did four years earlier when Northam won by nine points, and yet McAuliffe lost by two. So, you know, it's all relative, like <laughs> – and that's what you get into. It's like, you know, who, which, which base is more motivated – and and which one is more excited to turn out, and which one's more complacent, or you know whatever. And I mean, that, and and it's really who shows up. Yeah. For the, well, for these I'm not going to so, yeah. I'm going to let Catherine and Tim talk a lot about these elections. And one more question that kind of follows up into that is: now I've seen some approval rating polls um, over the past two years. And Glenn Youngkin, even though he's really shown himself to be a bit more right-wing than he may have campaigned um, in, in for his election, 
his popularity has not suffered as much as I would have thought and maybe some other people predicted. Are those polls a little off, or do you think there's some reason that he's um, faring a little better approval rating-wise than one might think, given that he's not been the new kind of Republican yeah. that he claimed to be? Um, well, I guess a couple things. One, one thing is that, you know, and it's not – life's not fair, I guess, or whatever, but, you know, the economy – of course, it's weird because people don't really necessarily perceive the economy as doing that well, but it actually is doing quite well. Unemployment in most states, including Virginia, is really low. And I think Youngkin's somewhat benefiting from that. But, you know, um, and, but Youngkin, of course, doesn't give any credit to Democrats or Biden or whatever. You know, he takes all the credit. <laughs> and, and you're seeing that with, with some of the um, legislation that Democrats passed, like the bipartisan infrastructure deal and – the um, and, and the Inflation Reduction Act, whatever. A lot of this money is going out into the states, including a lot of red states, and the and the Republicans there who oppose this stuff are taking credit for it. So I think that's part of it. And then I, I think part of it, though, if you look historically, um, Youngkin's approval rating isn't actually that high. It's pretty low compared to a lot of. Um, I look back at approval ratings for now. I mean, times have changed, you know. Like, but if you go back to like. 2005 with Mark Warner, he was at like 80%. <laughs> Tim Kaine back in 2006 was at like 77% approval rating. You know, um, even um, looking back here, like Ralph Northam was at, before before his scandal or whatever, but he was at like 54%. Bob McDonald was at 57 I mean, like, so Youngkin's been at like, you know, a little over 50. It's okay. I, I You know, it's not like it's not that great compared to it's all right. Like, and, and especially, I mean, again, the Virginia economy has been excellent. Now, of course, if there's a government shutdown, <laughs> I mean, Virginia has a huge number of federal employees and, um, and, and military and contractors and also we'll see, but I, so I think that's what it is. I, I, and I think a lot of people don't pay that close attention necessarily to what's going on in the governor's mansion or whatever. They're not, they don't really, I don't know. I mean, it, but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, historically, Virginia governors have had very high approval ratings. You yeah, know, and I but, think even in this moment of time, governors have higher approval ratings than presidents do. I mean, presidents are probably artificially low um, in times, and then uh, governors probably have artificially high times. So that is a good point. Yeah. I'm going to pass it to Catherine, who will then pass it to Tim. Catherine? Hey, Lowell. It's great to hear you on the radio, on the podcast again we yeah i, yeah, I missed, good to, I'm, good to hear I missed you. you oh <laughs> um, thanks <laughs> I, I i always think i miss you guys wanna, too I, I still uh follow blue virginia on facebook so i think of you when i see that um oh thanks so what are the you know me i always have to ask about policy and stuff what are the issues <laughs> policy oh what are the issues that people are worried about in Virginia? Yeah. And are are they um, worried enough about things to have it uh, impact their voting, or are they still voting straight party, whether whatever the issue might be? Well, um, definitely, of course, you know, in fact, I think the last time we talked, um, Roe versus Wade was still the law of the land. Uh, it yeah. definitely was. And so now we're in post-Dobbs. Post so that's huge. I mean, and that's what a lot of the um, TV ads and, and mailers and everything, the communications with voters now is about abortion rights. And what Democrats are arguing is that if Republicans get a, quote, trifecta, the governor's mansion, the state senate, and the House of Delegates, that they will move to ban – Democrats are saying ban abortion. Now, Republicans are pushing back and saying, well – we wouldn't ban it. We're just gonna like not allow it after 15 weeks. <laughs> so anyway, or that, whatever you want to call that. It's it's six weeks in Georgia, so before yeah. most people know they're pregnant. But anyway, so well, Virginia is like the last state in the South that current that is left just about that has I think is it like now that has um, you know uh, reproductive freedom. Um, I mean, there are restrictions, and the vast majority, by the way, of abortions in Virginia, not to get off on totally on a tangent, but are in the first trimester. 
Almost right. none are in the third trimester. Those, and in the cases of the second or third trimester abortions, they're almost always in tragic, horrible cases, like where the life of the health of the mother is in serious danger. The fetus cannot survive, whatever. So anyway, this is a whole. Right. But that's what people care about. That, no, you asked me about like what people are talking about. That's probably number one. I think that's fair to say. Um, guns, guns are an issue. Gun violence prevention, that's 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 an issue. Um, I think uh, the government shutdown is looming, um, and Virginia has a huge number, as I mentioned, of federal employees, military, et cetera, and, and private contractors. And, you know, that could be a disaster for Virginia. But and, – and, and remember now, early voting is already going on. It started on yeah. Friday. So if um, the government shuts down – and assuming Republicans are blamed, which they should be because it's their fault. I mean, it just is. I mean, like, they're, <laughs> it's their caucus. That's yeah, they can't, can't get have... away from They can't right. get away from it. So I think that will be a big issue. Um, I mean, you know, there are, there are some other issues, I mean, definitely out there that people are, are talking about climate and whatever. There, there are issues. But um, I, think the big, I think the big one so far has been the fight over over abortion and whether Republicans will will ban it. Um, and, uh, I mean, education's definitely still an issue. Yeah, when thought, Youngkin, thought, yeah. yeah, education seemed like it was kind of in the news in Virginia. So what well, I mean, the thing is, when Youngkin ran in 2021, he ran a demagogic campaign of fear-mongering and tapping into a lot of anger by frankly, white, white grievance-type anger. Uh, but anyway, a lot of it was fear-mongering about the schools, about supposedly they're teaching critical race theory, which, well, of course, they weren't, A, and B, nobody <laughs> even knew what critical race theory was. <laughs> it was a proxy for race, race and, and stoking. Remember, right. Republicans used the Southern strategy for, for ages, and, well, that's like a variant on it, really. And then anxiety over transgender kids in locker rooms, which there was almost none anyway, but like, okay. And so, so that's still, I mean, and then this whole parents' rights sort of movement, um, and that's still there. That's definitely still there. They're, they're definitely pushing that. So that, and but concerns over public education are definitely an issue if you want to talk about which issues people care about. I think at the doors, well, I'm, I'm hearing... People definitely raise the issues of public education. I mean, you know, what they should be focused on mostly is the quality of public education and teachers leaving the profession and, you know, um, having, um, uh, you know, the, the, the resources they need. And, you know, and then, and then also in 2021, Youngkin ran against COVID to some extent shutdowns. But that's now a couple of years in the past. So I don't know if people are really focused so much on that anymore, but... That was a, that was a big issue in 2021. People were frustrated. A lot of people were frustrated. You know, that who to blame for that was another issue. But people were frustrated that the schools were shut down and kids were at home and parents couldn't go to work. Necessarily. You know, it's like it really disrupted people's lives. But it well, was yeah, a tragic it, situation. And it disrupted you know, everyone. It, was, it wasn't like that. It was just. The people in Virginia or the people in, you know, I mean, it was all of us. We all got, you know, in one way or another, we were all impacted by that. And Yeah. But, I, you know, but it was quick. Everyone was quick to blame governors and, and or uh, rejoice for governors like our governor who, like, opened things up as soon as he felt like it. Starting with yeah. massage parlors and hair salon. Yeah. Some yeah. High priority. That's so important. <laughs> yeah. Massage power. Yeah. Gotta have that. But. <laughs> no, yeah. that's what he did. That was, those were the first businesses that opened. Really. Right. Kidding. So those those are most of the issues I would say. I mean, there are, there are other ones, but I mean, I think um, that's that's a, that's a lot of it. And you know, um, but yeah, I think the government shutdown keep that's a really wild card because that could really scramble things. The last time we had a government shutdown right before an election in Virginia was in 2013 when um, Terry McAuliffe was running against Ken Cuccinelli. And um, the conventional wisdom is that it helped McAuliffe. I actually went back and looked at the polling pre and, and post shutdown. It's a little, 
it's not to me it's not that glaringly obvious, but the conventional wisdom has settled in that that supposedly helped McAuliffe, and maybe it did. Um, remember what happened then, though the shutdown ended a couple of weeks before the election, and, and I remember then literally the next day I picked up the I used to get the, I still got the Washington Post hard copy, and I looked at it, and the headline changed immediately to the Affordable Care Act, whatever that website was called, ACA.gov or whatever, disastrous rollout. Like the whole narrative well, changed, and the Republicans started pounding on that for the last two weeks of the election. So it may be that actually the shutdown did help McAuliffe, but that it ended two weeks before the election. And back then, there was very little early voting in Virginia. Now Democrats changed that when we had our trifecta uh, in 2020, 2021. We made it no excuse, very easy to vote early. It started already on this past Friday. I mean, it's like, you know, a couple months of it. And so a lot of people will have voted. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, that if there's a government shutdown and it's so obvious that it's the Republicans' fault, that that could, with early voting, that could definitely benefit Democrats in Virginia. I mean, if you... It it could. If you're Um, you're uh, You know, I don't trust the media. Yeah, I don't trust the media because... If you're a government employee and you're not going to work, you might as well vote early and you're probably going to be mad at the Republicans. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, so, you know... Um, we'll see, but I mean, now I assume that people blame the Republicans, and I don't trust the media like to report accurately and clearly that it's not like both sides, quote unquote, or whatever. Like that it's, I mean, in this case, I don't even know how you can argue that it's not one hundred percent. It's the MAGA, it's the Freedom Caucus in the House. I mean, the Senate is passing its appropriations bills on a bipartisan basis. It's not them. It's not Senate. It's not House Dems. It's it's like I don't. I mean, pretty much obvious. Even the Republicans are blaming. They're even saying it's McCarthy or it's the Freedom. It's the crazies. McCarthy's saying it's the crazies in the Freedom Caucus. So you know. So anyway, we'll see. But yeah, I mean that. So that's that's really um, that's really a wild card hanging out there, and I I just don't know exactly how that's going to play out at this point. You know. But it could have a major impact in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's really great information. And again, it's good to have you on the show. And I'm gonna pass it pass it pass it to Tim. Hey, good evening, Lowell. Welcome back to the show. Um, is Abigail Spanberger definitely running for governor? (laughs) <laughs> Interesting. Well, I, I am not Abigail Spanberger. I just want to make that uh-huh. clear. <laughs> and I'm not inside of her brain. So, <laughs> But it looks like it. It sure looks like it. Um, you know, she's put all the signals, all everything that's emanating from Camp Spanberger and everything, everyone I'm talking to and everything you're hearing is that, yes, she's running for governor. Now, I don't know if she's going to run for re-election for the U.S. House uh, next year. Um, I guess she could not and then let another Democrat get that seat because, you know, that will be a presidential election year. It should be, I mean, definitely winnable for Democrats. I mean, definitely winnable for Democrats next year. But then 2026, the midterm there, if you think ahead, you know, that could be a rough, that could be a tough election. So she might decide maybe let someone else you know, another Democrat get in there and then have a couple of years under their belt. But anyway, yeah, I, as far as I'm, I know, she's running for governor. And, you know, she's definitely one of the um, top-tier candidates, if not the top-tier candidate. She has proven herself, uh, I will say, definitely, whether you like her, don't like her, whatever, politically, she has run in some tough districts, some tough Race. She started off by beating Dave Bratt, if you remember that guy, crazy guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh he, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was the incumbent, and that was a tough district. That was a purple. There are always purple districts that she ran in, um, mm-hmm. or even almost leaning slightly red. And so, you know, now those were years where Trump was in the White House, and we had the resistance or whatever, and a lot of backlash to Trump, and you know, Democratic blue wave, blue tsunamis. 
So, you know, but but she she definitely runs some tough races and she's won them and she's shown that she's got some chops. So, I think um yeah, so I think she would be a formidable candidate. I mean, there are, there are at least two other candidates. One, you know, on the Democratic side, Eileen Fillercorn, who was the speaker of the first Jewish speaker and the first female speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates when we got the trifecta she pre- led the takeover, you know, Democrats taking back the House of Delegates. She um, led and presided over passing hundreds of pieces of progressive legislation, et cetera. So she's almost certainly running for go- going to run for governor, too. And then the mayor of Richmond, LeVar Stoney, who was um, who was really Terry McAuliffe's right-hand man for many years, uh, was Secretary of the Commonwealth in the McAuliffe administration. He's he's almost 99% certain to run. So yeah, that's that's looking ahead to 2025. I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to stay focused. You know, it's hard sometimes, but it's trying to stay focused on on yeah. 2023. And, and, to, we, help, we and a, to help you out, and to help you out, Lowell, I'm going to ask you some more questions about 2024. So <laughs> 2024 or 20? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah because. The next one I, well, is, is also about a, a member of Congress up there. You know you're losing Jennifer Wexton because yeah, of uh, uh, What about her district? Uh, yeah, that's the first of all. That's just that's just so upsetting. Honest. I mean, I, I've known her for yes. several years. I she's very impressive. Um, she's a very good person, uh, and um, this just sucks. I mean, she got diagnosed, you know, with a really, really horrible disease, and um, it's mm-hmm. terrible. So anyway, whatever. Let's just put that, you know, out there. But the um, just aside from politics, uh, but yeah, that district is it leans Democratic. It's mostly it's in the D.C. suburbs, you know, heading out mostly centered in Loudoun County, which is increasingly blue. Um, but it's not 100% safe. But honestly, I think if Republicans really want to, like, waste their I, – I, I don't think they're going to win it in the end. I mean, as long as Democrats have a, have a strong candidate there. But not. But, but with Wexton leaving, so there's going to be a probably a many-candidate primary. I, I mean, there could be 10, 12 – who knows how many – I mean, I don't know how many Democrats are going to run for that nomination, but it could be a lot. And it's probably not going to be using ranked choice voting, so that means it will be first past the post. Now, when you have 10 candidates running, that means that in theory, someone could win a nomination with, what, 11% of the vote doing quick math? Here. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. could. I mean, like, so it's really weird. I mean, like, I, I don't like it. I, I think we should have ranked choice voting because I think it's crazy. You could, you could have a fringe, like, I don't know, far left or whatever it is, but you could have a fringe candidate that just gets has a solid like fifteen percent or whatever, right? And if the yeah. other candidates all like split, they could just sneak in. <laughs> it's just crazy. But anyway, so I don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, uh, there's already been a lot of rumors of different candidates interested in. I mean, the chairman of the board of Loudoun County, Phyllis Randall, for example, um, Mark Herring, uh, former Attorney General, his name was bandied about you know he he used to represent Loudoun County in the uh, state Senate and um, in fact Jennifer Wexton succeeded Mark Herring in the state Senate so you know there there's um, there's going to be a and there could be many others who run for that but you know I I just was like can we just give this a (laughs) a few days at least (laughs) like I mean Jennifer Wexton just announced this horrible news and people are already like hey who's going to run for it yeah, you know, but that's politics I, I, for you, right? I, I didn't. I didn't mean to get into that, but you know, we're a political show. And no, I know. I get it. It's we, fine. We, uh, listen, uh, there's like last time I checked, there's like 13 states in this country where governors can serve unlimited terms as long as they keep getting elected. Mm-hmm. Your governor can only serve one term, right? And, and and I believe that's the only state in the country. Or that is the case. One one term consecutively, yeah. Right. Has there ever been any change in that law? No, there's been thought, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been um, proposals to do so, bills introduced. uh, They just haven't passed. Um, I I personally 
would strongly support um, allowing a governor to run for re-election. But there are people who, for whatever reasons, think that well, um, we should keep it the way it I, is. I, 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 I don't, I don't I, I don't get their angle there because every governor enters office as a lame duck. I agree. Uh, well, what so is the if upside? you're <laughs> well, I, I don't think there is personally. But I mean, let's say you're in the legislature, though. How does it affect the power vis-a-vis, you know, between uh-huh. the branches of government? If you think about it that way, maybe you could make an argument. That a the government governor is powerful enough. You don't want to let them. Because we have a citizen legislature, quote unquote. They only meet like forty five days or whatever. And the, you know, already I would argue the governor has a, a lot more power in a lot of ways, especially if the legislature is divided. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's some people who are really into like just keeping whatever the tradition is, and I don't really get that. Um, Chap Peterson was one. He was in the state senate. And he gave up and gave a speech, which made no sense to me, opposing this and saying it was just be horrible and whatever. I'm like, I, I don't even understand what he was really arguing. Why it would be hard? And right now, the governor can run again. They just have to sit out four years. You know, uh-huh. that's what. McAuliffe tried it in 2021 because he was elected in 2013, and then he served one term, and then Ralph Northam served a term, and then McAuliffe ran again in the once-in-future governor, as Joe Biden actually called him at one point. And then in 2021, he ran, and he barely lost to Glenn Youngkin when he could have been uh-huh. governor again. But, yeah, but not consecutively. So, yeah, I, yeah, there has been thoughts of changing it. But it hasn't been changed. You know, one thing, I mean, the legislature is going to look very different after – no matter what, the legislature is going to look very different after this election. A lot of incumbents retired. A lot uh-huh. of incumbents were defeated in primaries. Um, and we also had redistricting this time around with a um, – we had a redistricting amendment that passed in 2020 – which made it so that the – it used to be that the legislators picked – they drew their own districts, basically. Well, this time mm-hmm. it ended up with two special masters drew the district. So we ended up and, – and, and they did it without looking at where the incumbents lived. And so basically you oh. had a lot of incumbents – yeah, you had a lot of incumbents paired up or even tripled up, oh. and so you ended up with oh, a lot oh, of incumbents. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. I know. Look, you got, you got 100 and I believe 140 seats up for election, yeah. and with what right. you just told me, no one really has a good handle on what's going to happen on election night, do they? Um, I mean, we have a pretty good handle in the sense of um, – the vast majority of, of districts are not competitive, really. Like, you know uh-huh. what I'm saying? I mean, I mean the um, we have 100 um, House of Delegates districts, and really only – it depends how you count, but it's between 7 and maybe 10, 11, 12 of those 100 are really strongly competitive, really competitive. So you you pretty much like the Virginia Public Access Project is a um, nonpartisan group here in Virginia. They did an analysis based on they looked at the twenty one twenty one and twenty twenty two results, and they found they they rated as thirty seven strong Democratic House of Delegates districts, eleven lean, seven competitive, seventeen lean Republican, twenty eight strong Republican. So you you pretty if that's true. Then you kind of do know you. It's just basically the battle is right it, it's along the what forty-five yard lines or whatever. I mean, it's seven uh-huh. competitive seats. The rest of them are mostly not really. I mean, I guess the lean ones possibly. If there's like a blue uh-huh. wave or a red wave, but right now there's no indication of that. If it's a neutral environment, you're talking about like seven out of a hundred seats, and that's what it's going to come down to. And then in the state senate, I mean, they rate. Um, 15 strong Dem seats, five lean Dem seats. That gets you to 20-20 right there, by the way, in the 40-seat Senate. And then um, uh-huh. four competitive. They say four competitive um, seats in the state Senate. So we're going to be uh-huh. looking at those seats, like those four competitive state Senate seats. One of them is in the 
same area, Loudoun County, um, Russet Perry versus this guy Juan Pablo Segura. They're going to spend millions of dollars right there. Like, yes. remember, the D.C. media market is very expensive. So, you uh-huh. know, um, and, and that's all Ooh. D.C. media market. But yeah, and uh, Segura's uh, father's a billionaire. He Segura reminds me of, like, Eric Trump or something. <laughs> father's a billionaire. The guy has no business being in the state Senate. I mean, it's like, oh, God. Uh, yeah, yeah, but so uh, let me tell you this on the way out, Lowell. Uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene as my congresswoman, believe oh. me, people can get elected to office that have no business being there. Oh, so my God. That, She's I'll your congress. Back to David. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> David? Yes. Well, Lowell, I'm so glad to get this information on Virginia politics. And, of course, we'll be watching and discussing those results, I'm sure, after the elections take place. And then, of course, other big stories will happen, and we'll get you back on again from Virginia. But until that time, tell our listeners where they can read you, uh, be it on your blogs or on social media or wherever you'd like to connect our listeners to. Yeah, well, the website is bluevirginia.us. And then, you know, I almost hate to even mention X, it's called now, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> but I, we have a Twitter account, Blue Virginia, um, at Blue Virginia. But we're also now on, I mean, there's, there's a list of like 10 things we're on. We're on Blue Sky, Threads, Posts, Mastodon. I mean, they're all like pretty much Blue Virginia on, on all of them. Yeah. So anyway, and Substack and Spoutable. Like I've got accounts on all those now. So if you want to, if you want to find Blue Virginia, we're like all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> because I, cause I, I think I think myself. Musk is killing killing X. So yeah, yeah and, yeah. and I think uh, Tim and I know in that dilemma, Catherine too, where we 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 just don't know which is going to have the the reach, and so far none of them have the reach because they're so splintered. You know that's you know they have these uh, I guess uh, Daily Kos conventions. They need to have that as, like, a major topic. Like, everybody votes on, like, which one we're just all going to join up to, winner take all, the rest of them we just don't bother with, and we just all pick one to move to. And if we all pick the same one, then it probably could take over X pretty quickly. But as long as it's splintered, Elon Musk is going to have a bit of advantage, I think. I agree. I mean, it's really like a tragedy of the commons almost. I mean, we need – Everyone, if they could, we could all just agree, like, okay, progressives or whatever it is, we're all going to move to pick one. But, yeah, yeah. it's – so right now, yeah. though – and well, I think what is going to happen is if X if, – if Musk, like, starts charging everybody to, to use Twitter X, whatever – then I think you're going to have an ex- exodus, <laughs> pun intended, from X. Um, <laughs> get it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that we got bad it. pun. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we know Blue Virginia on any of these, so we'll just uh, you know see you there. And thanks again for coming on the show, Lowell. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. All right. All right. Yes. LowellFailBlueVirginia.us. A lot of good information tonight, and we will have to, of course, I'm sure recap those election results along with some other states in mid uh, November. But we have enough time to talk about one more topic, and there was another big topic that keeps unfolding out of the state of New Jersey, a state that we thought, well, you know, not not much going on there. Well, Bob Menendez, which I don't really think is somebody really think about a lot. I, I don't really think a lot about Bob Menendez, but apparently there's some people that are not scrupulous. They like to think about Bob Menendez. And they offered him um, some different props purportedly. I mean, I guess there's been no convictions, but there's been charges and allegations and everything else. Gold bars involved. And so there's been calls um, from a lot of folks in New Jersey for him to resign. I think John Fetterman was the first and may still only be the only um, Democratic senator to call for him to resign. But he is from the neighboring state of Pennsylvania, cause, so that is a little more impactful than, say, somebody that's from way away, but not quite if, you know, if Cory Booker um, said something. But also some House members have called on him to resign, and, and there's more to that. Uh, Tim, Kind of tell us where do things stand with Bob Menendez at this moment? 
Well, this guy skirted on the edge of the law for years. He's always maintained his innocence. <laughs> Obviously, a grand jury did not think so. I mean, we're talking federal bribery charges here. It's pretty serious. And all the major Democratic leaders in New Jersey, as you know, this week, David, included the governor, Phil Murphy, the legislative leadership, Andy Kim, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment, uh, are calling for his resignation. But Menendez at the moment is saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to fight it, blah, blah, blah. That's where we stand. Yes. Now, um, Catherine, you saw the same charges, um, and pretty much this really highlights the difference in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party right now. This is somebody that's been indicted by a grand jury, and so many Democratic leaders, so many Democratic activists are like, we're ready to move on from this guy, whereas the Republicans will have the same thing happen to one individual from Queens, New York. Um, who now lives in Florida, that they just can't move on from. Um, does the way that these incidents get handled by the two parties, does this not really highlight um, to a lot of maybe less political people the differences in the two? Well, yeah, but Menendez has been in office for a long time. And these these are not new new like charges so i'm i'm a little hesitant to to go full in on that theory uh but i think there is some validity to it um yeah how they haven't gotten rid of that other guy that republican from new york i don't understand but well i was actually talking about donald trump (laughs) donald trump he's from Uh, queens he now resides in florida Oh, I get you. Sorry. Um, But David, David and Catherine, there is one thing about Santos. that Republican leadership is is screaming for Menendez to resign, but not a peep about Santos. What about that? A peep about any of them, Catherine. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 the Republicans are worse, but I'm also, I also... You know, I can't, I can't blame, I can't, I can't excuse some of our Democrats for some of the things they've done. So, no, uh, no, I, I think that's, that's the thing here is, is we're, um, you know, we're not going to let the goals of, the, you know, the party and the movement get in the way of this guy's point, which, which again, I don't think he is by any means a big leader in the the party as far as, um, you know, how the party sees itself. Like we started saying, well, you know, besides your senators, who are some leaders you like? I just don't think Bob Menendez would come up on anybody's list much. He's he's an insider's insider. And and that's because it seems like that was kind of his agenda. He was probably looking out for the interest of Bob Menendez and the Menendez family first. Uh, Maybe some things in New Jersey second, but but the broader good um, didn't come up as much. Um, but let's kind of let's see if we can turn this into the next thing. He's actually up for re-election in 2024. Um, if he were just to stand pat like he is now, I guess that seat could be in play. But, and it was real funny, as soon as I saw this, because I, I think he may end up resigning, um, and then it'll be much like California where they're, they don't have a primary, they get up a pick, and that gets a different situation. They have some really good congressional representatives up there. I mentioned Mickey Sherrill and Andy Kim Whitehouse because they have mm-hmm. a national presence, and they're much more exciting. Well, Andy Kim said, look, I called on Bob Menendez to resign, and since he won't, I'm going to run against him. And, Kim, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned Andy Kim back. Uh, and yeah. you're really over Mickey Sherrill, so so you were on this really yeah. fast. Uh, give us your thoughts on Andy Kim running. Against yeah, he's he he he's a good trooper. I've seen him a lot on TV. He's a very good speaker. He's a he's good solid good solid man. He would make an excellent candidate for that seat. Uh, I that that would be my pick right there, uh, and he'd hold it too. 
<laughs> yeah, Catherine, uh, the, the way he kind of introduced himself to the American public was in a photo. January 6th, on the evening, after they uh, cleared out all the, um, you know, the treasonous and the yeah. vagrants and everything else, all that riffraff that, you know, stormed the Capitol and tried to take over the government and hang Mike Pence. I mean, let's just not mince words about it. They ran all those folks off. They left a complete and utter mess. And Andy Kim, even though he's, just, he's a congressman and nobody probably would have him to do it, he helped clean up, and they took a picture of it. And that's yeah. the way most people learned about Andy Kim. Uh, tell right. us what your thoughts are on Congressman Kim. I think he would be, uh, like Tim, I think he'd be a great senator. And I think a lot of people, when when reminded, if they don't remember, of that moment, will have a lot of respect for him. And hopefully it will help get him elected. Because that was quite a... Uh, it was quite a moment. I remember it, and I I thought this is this is remarkable leadership. Yes. Well, um, we want to thank our guest Lowell Feld, and ex- get excited about next week. We got another old friend coming on from um, California and the classroom, Steve Sizinger, um, Singizer. He's coming on next week, and he's going to discuss education issues and also some California politics. So we'll be excited to talk to Steve next week on the Kudzu Vine. Until then, good night, everybody. Good night, Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world?